With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Critically analyzing national affairs. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Here we go. Hour two, State of the Nation. Thank you for joining us. I hope you're having a wonderful day out there. I'm Brian McLean. I'm joined by Steve Hook here for State of the Nation on today's News Talk. TNTradio.live is our website. And I'll remind you real quickly, the Australians and Freedom, uh, the Australians for Science and Freedom Conference will be held at the University of New South Wales High Street, Kensington, New South Wales, from 8.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Saturday, the 18th of November, and 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. on Sunday, the 19th of November. And if you're not there in Australia, we got you covered. TNT Radio will be broadcasting live from the conference. Grab your tickets if you're available to go at scienceandfreedom.org. Now, Steve, I'm told there's an update on the story of the hockey player who was killed uh, by an ice skate to the neck. What's uh, what's the news? There? Yeah. Oh man, we all remember that. That was one of those videos, and you and I talked about it when it happened. Harsh. I couldn't even watch it. It was uh, it was so harsh. Um. Well, here's here's the here's the word now. Police in England have arrested a suspect in connection with the death of former NHL player Adam Johnson. He died last month when he was slashed across his neck. His carotid artery was slashed by an opposing player. The South Yorkshire police released a statement on Tuesday confirming an arrest inside the investigation to the 29-year-old Johnson. The suspect has not been invest uh, or identified rather by law enforcement, but if you watch the video, it's pretty easy to see who they who they collared here. Uh, the former Pittsburgh Penguins forward was playing a Challenge Cup game between the Nottingham Panthers and the Sheffield Steelers at Sheffield's Utilita Arena. I probably totally butchered that. But at any rate, uh, we saw it happen. I suspect it'll probably be, I mean, I don't know how British law works, Hesh. I, I don't really know. Here in the States, that would probably be an involuntary manslaughter. Um, it Obviously, I don't think he was trying to kill the guy. Uh, that doesn't make sense. But he did raise his skate up. And it looked mighty suspicious, like, well, he may not have been trying to kill him, but he sure as hell was trying to maim him. Um, but I don't know how you improve, how you could possibly prove intention there. But uh, that that just shook up the hockey world around the world. And, you know, they said a whole bunch of people that were at that game, it just it, it repulsed them so much they got up and left. And, of course, the game was canceled afterwards, I guess, I'm assuming. But, uh, yeah, an arrest has been made. They released the Nottingham Panthers later released a statement confirming Johnson's death, saying it was a freak accident. Um, and here's what the, the 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 police said. They say our investigation launched immediately following this tragedy, and we have been carrying out extensive inquiries ever since to piece together the events which led to the loss of Adam in these unprecedented circumstances. Adam's death has sent shockwaves throughout the uh, throughout many communities from our local residents here in Sheffield to ice hockey fans around the world. We know these communities will expect us to handle this investigation with the same professionalism, fairness, and sensitivity as any other uh, and request their members of the public refrain from comment and speculation, which could actually hinder the process. Our thoughts remain uh, with all affected uh, by this devastating incident uh, as inquiries continue. So, 
We'll see. Again, I don't know British law, but uh, here you'd probably get a, a involuntary manslaughter, maybe manslaughter. Uh, I don't know. You saw it, didn't you? You watched it. I did. Yeah, it was um, it was really tragic. And I can see why there needs to be some sort of investigation or trial. And normally when a mainstream news article tells me not to uh, do supposition, I disagree. In this case, I'm going to have to take their advice on that uh, by yeah. watching it. I and I'm not a, a sports guy, as you know, as you well know. So I don't have a big opinion on it, and I'm just really curious to see what's going to happen. You know, I mean, I assume if it was if this was an American court, he would have a, a lawyer that would advise him to not take the stand, probably, and you know, do a no contest or or maybe something like that. Maybe some sort of plea deal, depending on what the prosecution has against him. But uh, yeah, this this one. I don't know how it's going to go, but um, it's good to see that there's an investigation happening and that at least, you know, the lawyers will be engaged and we'll, we'll hear his story via his lawyers at least, right? I would think. And, you know, I tell you what, um, it was tragic, but I would also hate to be that guy that did it. I mean, because yeah. I just cannot imagine that he intentionally killed this guy. I just now maybe, you know. I just I just can't imagine he meant to do it. I, I think he probably, like I said, he may have meant to cut him across the cheek or send a message. Who knows? But, you know, you're right. The media says don't speculate. We won't speculate. But I'd hate to be that guy that did it. I'd hate to be him because everybody's going to be looking at him like I'm not skating with him. Yeah. And uh, we'll we'll see how it shakes out. But at least an arrest has been made and the inquiries are, are, contrib- are continuing. So, we'll, yeah, probably we'll the end posted. of his probably the end of his career there in hockey, uh, you know, yeah. unfortunately for him and perhaps even more, unfortunately, like you said, he's going to have to live with the emotional, mental and spiritual, uh, you know, weight of having yeah. taken someone's life. Uh, you know, whether it was, I assume it, I'm going to assume it was an accident. I will speculate that I'll give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt and uh, just hope actually that that was not intentional. Uh, for all the latest community events, rallies, marches, festivals, and fundraisers happening near you, check out our What's On Events calendar on the TNT Radio website, which is at tntradio.live. Stay in touch on TNT Radio. Breaking news heard here. It's around the clock update. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Oh, well, reportedly, the New York State Education Department is considering eliminating the Regents exam as a graduation requirement for high school students according to a recommendation presented Monday to the Board of Regents. Here with the story, joining us once again is TNT Radio News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. So, Ruckus, uh, what is this? Are we lowering the bar? Well, yeah, maybe we might possibly be, perhaps, potentially dumbing down standards. I don't know, but it seems like it. Um, (laughs) For more than a century, high school students have been required to pass the Regents exam in order to receive their diplomas. Last year, the State Education Department's Blue Ribbon Commission on Graduation Measures argued that a test cannot determine students' future success in the workforce. Commissioner Betty A. Rosa stated, quote, every student has unique talents, skills and interests, and a one size fits all approach fails to recognize and nurture these differences. 
We must remove barriers and facilitate equitable access to education by addressing the individual needs of students, increasing opportunities for work-based learning or college readiness programs, and providing students with practical skills and experiences that enhance their employability and post-secondary education opportunities, end quote. If the education department adopted the proposed changes, students would still have the option to complete the Regents' exam to receive their diplomas. However, high schoolers could also meet graduation requirements by completing other quote-unquote performance-based assessments, including writing essays or creating a portfolio of work, the Post reported. These alternative that would be the New York Post, I'm sorry. These alternative uh, forms of assessment would first need to be approved by the state. Robert Lowry, de Deputy Director of the New York State Council of School Superintendents, explained, quote, the commission doesn't really outline a specific approach for moving away from regent exams, but it does say students should be provided with additional ways to demonstrate that they've learned what the state says a high school graduate should learn, end quote. Currently, New York students can receive three different types of graduation certificates, including the local diploma, the regents diploma, and the regents diploma with advanced designations. The New York State Education Department's website states, quote, the difference between diploma types lies in the number of assessments the student passed and the required passing score or scores, end quote. In order to receive a local or regents diploma, students must pass four regents exams in each discipline, including English, language arts, mathematics, science, and social studies. To receive advanced designations, students must pass two more math exams and one additional science exam. The commission recommended consolidating the three diplomas into one that can be decorated with endorsements or seals for additional achievements. Critics accused the commission of, quote unquote, lowering the bar for students. Mona Davids with the New York City Parents Union told The Post, quote, this is a continuation of the soft bigotry of low expectations from our black and Hispanic students. They don't think our kids are smart enough to pass the regents exams. They're lowering the bar. It is racist to look down on our kids. It's dodging accountability for educating our students. They don't think our students are educable, end quote. A state education policy veteran who spoke to the Post on the condition of anonymity questioned how the education department would monitor student success after eliminating the regents exam. The source told the Post, quote, how are parents going to know if students are learning if we move away from exams? This is going in the exact opposite direction, end quote. And uh, yeah, there were plenty of other examples of commentary that leaned in that direction. Uh, but do you fellas indeed agree that it looks like they are lowering the bar? What are your thoughts? Yes. Yeah, it definitely sounds like they're lowering the bar here, you know, uh, and and it's sort of a, the way that they're they're framing this um, until you start hearing some of the commentary, like the ones that you read, it sounds all right. I mean, you know, we, we, we definitely um, had some problems with one size fit all, you know, uh, th these were things that could have been improved, uh, looking at the individual needs of students, right? And then you also mentioned the practical skills.
didn't we already cut all the practical skills? I mean, I've I've been looking at this. I don't see a wood shop, metal shop, auto shop, home ec, uh, even music classes. You know, these these sort of things are kind of on uh, waning right now in our public uh, indoctrination. I mean, education system. Um, so you know, they say all that, but then they admit that they they don't really have a specific approach in mind, and that's. What, what is this? Students should be provided additional ways to demonstrate what they've learned. Like what? Like TikTok videos? I mean, like, where do we draw the line at what these demonstrations actually are? Uh, so I'm a little concerned, Ruckus, that, um, that, that there's just not enough specificity here for it to be an educational decision. It's, Steve, it sounds to me more like a, uh, like a racially based uh, it is decision. Soft it bigotry is. was mentioned there. That's what it sounds like to me. Well, I love that line because it's absolutely what I was thinking. As Ruckus was reading it, I was thinking this is the soft bigotry of low expectations. Uh, I think the next president of the United States, the first thing you ought to do is say, uh, uh, Department of Education is uh, uh, is hereby gone. Uh, it doesn't exist anymore. We need to get power away from these uh, teachers unions that have destroyed public education uh they've uh, we've talked about this in the past it's uh it's they they use and i don't think that you know i know that you were kind of tongue-in-cheek saying our public indoctrination centers hash but you and i have discussed that off air and that's exactly what they are make no mistake about that and they're pushing this woke crap down everybody's throat and they they're because it's too hard to teach uh math or I mean, math is they stop calling it math in sixth grade. I mean, they, they they won't even say it's math. You can't teach calculus to somebody that grew up on the wrong side of the tracks because the schools suck. Um, you know, it, it's not the kids that need to be held uh, accountable for their piss poor grades. Uh, it's the educators. It's the it's it's the unions. It's the Randy Weingartens of the world uh, who would love this who love this DEI crap. It makes her job very easy. You can just shrug your shoulders and say, well, these kids are uneducatable. You can't, you can't teach them. Uh, and we're not even going to try anymore. So, but you know, if you do extra things, like you mentioned, TikTok videos, we'll give them some nice little pins that they can put on their, 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 their various types of diplomas, which will get them absolutely nothing and a pat on the back when they graduate. How about teach them how to do calculus? How about teach them how to write a sentence? How about, you know, and, I, you know, the thing is, guys, I think most Americans, frankly, most people of common sense, even a thimble full of common sense, understand how ridiculously stupid and pandering and uh, and patronizing this garbage is. But they push it all the same. It's just pathetic. It's it, it, it's really it, it angers me. I, I think back to the um, I don't know if I'm going to remember the name of it, but there is a very famous movie that had. The excellent actor Edward James almost in it, and he played a teacher in a um, in a school in a rough neighborhood. Do you remember the name of that movie, Ruckus? I'm pretty sure it was Stand and Deliver. Going from memory, yeah, here. I think that might be it. Uh, thank you for that. Um, what about stories like that? You know, that was based on a true story, um, and that was a perfect example of the kind of places where a good educator, a skilled educator could work with kids that were having a difficult time. And it, you know, it's just what happened to all of that? What happened to that? We can 
educate ourselves into a higher position. You know, we can improve upon what our parents gave us or, you know, what life has handed us. It's just like, oh, well, now you're just a victim class. You're a victim class. And, uh, you know, it, it, unfortunately, it seems like it sort of cements and underlines all the DEI and all of the soft and hard racism that seems to be being promoted right now by, by education, by government. Ad by absolutely. Absolutely. Good uh, that's a frustrating one, Ruckus. Uh, anything else you want to throw out there on that before we let you go? No, I think I did my job. Thank you, gentlemen. I'll speak to you next time. <laughs> that you did. That you did. Thanks, Ruckus. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Jeremy Now We won't get into the politics too much, but I do enjoy your position, and that is, I'm American, America first. Yeah, that's right. America first. I don't, I don't care about Hamas. I don't care about Israel. They're fighting over a patch of sand that I don't care about in a place that I don't care about, and it's two people groups that I don't care about. It has nothing to do with us. And that has nothing to do with ethnocentrism. It, that just has to do with the fact that if you're in a nation, your loyalty should always go with the nation first. I, I don't even know how you would run a nation that didn't operate that way. Mm. And you've spoken about that hierarchy before. Uh, it's uh, God, family, nation. That's right. God, family, nation. It has to be as part of the intrinsic hierarchy of reality. You're going to start with God and then family and then nation in that order. It, I don't even think it works any other way, to be honest with you. Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't want to be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me and I was trying to figure it out and I used the internet to help me do that. Seemingly out of nowhere, we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world. The people who are consuming this are children, 13, 14, 15 years old, and it's so easy for them to literally be groomed. I just woke up one day, looked at myself in the mirror, and asked myself, what the heck am I doing? When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive, multidisciplinary mental health assessments. We know that that's not true. I was easy to manipulate. The ideology that has become dominant at these clinics is that trans kids know who they are, and therefore to question them is completely taboo. My childhood was ruined. Who's there for their detransitioning? Nobody. Nobody would help me because they had more concerns of me reversing everything. Did this thing to alleviate this gender dysphoria that wasn't there before, but you made it into a problem, and now your body image issues are worse. That's not supposed to happen. What do we do now? D-Trans, the dangers of gender-affirming care. For more information, go to PragerU.com. So many people who had no history of heart illnesses have got it now, or blood clotting after the COVID-19 vaccination. Punish those who hurt people with COVID madness. Lighting the fuse for freedom. TNT Radio. Yeah, I like that one. That's very true. Now, some Venezuelan migrants who trekked thousands of miles to the U.S. in search of a better life are so disheartened, they say they're already heading back home. One Michael Castellon, age 39, told the Chicago Tribune he's had enough. 
after he, his wife, and teenage stepdaughter spent five months sleeping either in a police precinct or a crowded city shelter in the now brutally cold Windy City. He's also been unable to secure a job permit or enroll his daughter in a local school. Two of the main things they thought they would be getting here in in the U.S., bringing a better life. Uh, Castajon told uh, media, quote, the American dream doesn't exist anymore, end quote. He went on to say, quote, if we're going to be sleeping in the streets here, we'd rather be sleeping in the streets over there, end quote, referring to Venezuela, where he came from. Joining us now to discuss is an American politician who's currently a member of the Chicago City Council, serving as alderman of the 15th Ward in Chicago, Illinois. His name is Raymond Lopez. Raymond, welcome back. Thank you for rejoining us here on the program. So the migrant wave has been so heavy on the city that even some migrants are looking to return to Venezuela. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, and how is the migrant wave affecting the people of Chicago? Well, I think, Brian, it's interesting that many of the migrants thought that there was going to be a large welcome mat ready for them here in the United States, that we would have cars, clothing, jobs, school, shelter, food, and cell phones all at the ready the moment they arrived. And clearly that was not the case. You know, I don't think that they were prepared for the fact that they were going to arrive in Texas and be shipped to states like Illinois and New York, which are cold weather states, a far cry from Central America and South America. So I think that reality is setting in that to come to the United States claiming asylum and to have to wait for that case to work its way through the merit hearings wasn't an easy task. And while it's unfortunate that their experience is not ending the way they had hoped, it just goes to show that reality is finally starting to set in with those who sought to manipulate the asylum process in the hopes of gaining access to the United States. And they're not having to make decisions on their own again as to whether or not it was worth the months of harrowing uh, uh, travel through jungles and unfamiliar terrain just to get here. Yeah, uh, it's it's good to see you, Raymond. Steve Hook here. Thank you for joining us today. I, I, I saw this story today on the news and I just I, I kind of had to shake my head. I'm like, well, if I, you know, it, it's tough not to have sympathy for some of these folks. It really is, because Absolutely. if I, I must say that if I was a Venezuelan father, uh, and I saw what happened to that country. And then I saw on the news that, hey, guess what? These folks are being put up in the Roosevelt Hotel. They're getting free cell phones. Uh, it, it's kind of a, a bait and switch, though, once they get here. A lot of people were screaming at Abbott for how can he do this? But then again, Texas can't very well take care of all of these. So the reality is starting to set home, uh, starting to be sent home with a lot of these folks. And they're literally taking their bags and going home. But are we seeing this in a in a significant number? Uh, because I just saw the numbers that came out for September for the, uh, the the illegal crossings. They were down, but it's still the third highest month in the history of the uh, of keeping track of this. It, it, you think this is going to start setting a trend? Are people going to start? I mean, obviously the winter months are on us. So what do you think? Well, I think what we've seen so far, Stephen, is that it's anecdotal at best that we're going to see this change the trajectory of people or change their decisions once they're here. Look, we know that tens of thousands of people have been on the march towards our border for several months. We see pictures constantly of, of large masses of people coming our way. And we know 
as has been reported by some news outlets, that social media has been the biggest fuel, the driver of this. People are hearing stories either from the cartels or from ads saying, sell what you have and go to America. They're waiting for you. They're not showing the downside of what's happening when you get here, that you're sleeping on the streets or in airports or that you're basically homeless in an encampment somewhere. You know, and I think that unfortunately, we're going to continue to see those individuals come to to the United States. We're going to continue to see our borders being crossed every single day, as well as many people who are not going to be accounted for, who are running past the border patrol agents just to get past them and to get into this country. The only way that we can really resolve this, to be perfectly honest, is not at the city level, but it's to tell Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, his borders are, to do their jobs and close the border and start adjudicating these asylum claims, quit letting people claim economic hardship as grounds to enter, because that's not what the law says, and right. start holding and start deporting people back to their country. Because not only are you sending the wrong message that you can get here and stay here for several years if you so choose, but you're also spitting in the eyes of individuals who've been holding out hope for an immigration process that finally recognizes them and lets them in, particularly our DACA kids who were brought here as infants and only know this country as their own, who still have no resolution and no hope while seeing everyone else manipulate the system to get ahead of them. Yeah, it's it's turned into an absolute mess. And um, I've noticed that uh, Governor J.B. Pritzker has even spoken out, kind of joining the, the uh, you know, like Eric Adams did. We're starting to see some Democratic politicians say, hey, wait a minute, hold on a second. We have to cut a check for how much? And you're cutting <laughs> us a check for how much? I mean, um, it's my understanding that yeah. Pritzker noted that more than $330 million have already been spent by the state to house and feed some of these illegal aliens. I'll take your comments on that after a brief headline here with today's News Talk TNT Radio. Turn on the news. I have a little news flash. TNT Radio News. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. A Ukrainian lawmaker who was formally notified this week that he was suspected of treason for allegedly cooperating with Russia's military intelligence said on Wednesday a Kiev court had ordered him detained for 60 days. A lion that escaped from an Italian circus has been taking well-deserved naps to recover from a Saturday night out in the seaside town of Ladispoli. It sparked panic before authorities managed to recapture him. God, you're amazing. You're a much better listener than my wife. You're always there for me. I think I may be in love. Where is she? It's not what it seems. I I was talking to... Who's the tramp I heard you talking to? That was my Alexa, sweetie. Well, she sounds like a tramp. (laughs) Fall in love with news and talk all over again with your smart device. Just tell it to play. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Raymond Lopez is our guest. He's an elected alderman of the 15th Ward in Illinois. Raymond, uh, what do you think about J.B. Pritzker's comments to the Biden administration here? $330 million spent so far. That's a lot of money. It's definitely a lot of money. and Most of it's gone towards medical care for the migrant asylum seekers who have come here and gotten every medical procedure possible to help bring them to healthy living. Uh, Many procedures that our own state Medicaid would never pay for any of our Illinois residents. But, you know, to be perfectly honest, better late than never, I guess I would say to the to the governor. Uh, And I wish our mayor would join suit because I've been calling for the Biden administration to do something for months and months. 
to no avail. Every time that they've come to Chicago, I've invited them to come meet me at any of the one of the several migrant shelters or the police stations. You know, I don't know what the aversion is to hold our own party accountable for their lack of action, but we really need to do a better job in standing up because we could have had such a very different outcome, in my opinion, if members of the Democratic Party's leadership would have stood up earlier and said, we need to take care of this now before it gets completely out of control, because right now it is completely out of control. Yeah, well, you know, as as Hesher uh, men, uh, mentions there, Raymond, you have uh, Governor Pritzker basically slamming Biden. And it's understandably, I mean, this is starting to cause some real problems within the Democratic Party. But now you just mentioned the mayor. <laughs> you think you think that Mayor Johnson may be looking at what happened to Eric Adams and the FBI uh, running roughshod into his offices. And uh, I mean, it seems to me that it wasn't too long after Eric Adams of New York started saying, this is a disaster. This is an unprecedented disaster. He pointed the finger squarely where it belongs, quite frankly. And so did you, Raymond, at Biden and Kamala Harris, our, our, our border czar. And it wasn't too long after that, that the FBI came pounding on his, uh, on his uh, on on his door. Uh, do you think that the mayor of Chicago might be a little bit gun shy to to go there? Well, I have never heard of a weaponized FBI or justice system in America ever. Uh, that's news to me. <laughs> um, but I think that you know I don't I don't know what it, what his reluctance to do to say anything is. I think. You know, he definitely, our mayor definitely wants to be the good host of the Democratic National Convention next August. I think he's definitely trying to position himself as a national leader. But I think, you know, truth be told, this immigration, this migrant crisis and this overall broken immigration system uh, is going to fall squarely in the Democratic Party and pit some of its core constituencies against itself particularly among African-Americans who see this as, as in some areas as a part to replace them as a core constituency and others that see them as getting more than what we've been willing to offer uh, the disinvested communities, uh, not only in Chicago, but across this country. And many people who are of immigrant, who are immigrants or descendants of immigrants who feel as though they had to walk a very different path to get into this country with no support and see us rolling out effectively the red carpet for these individuals whom we all know with a wink and a nod are taking full advantage of this system. I think it's going to cause yeah. the Democratic Party problems. And I think what concerns me most beyond the sheer political part of it is that, you know, I think Many of our Democratic mayors are trying to turn this into the next cash federal cash cow, if I may be so bold, because we saw during COVID, ARPA one and two, which were the federal relief pro programs, were going to major cities to help fund them and alleviate the cash crunch that they were feeling because of the shutdown and lack of sales tax and other things. All of those monies, if they haven't been spent, are going to have to be returned to Washington, D.C., as we see through the government shutdowns of last month, this month, and next month, where Republicans want that money back in order to keep the government moving forward. So Democratic cities in particular are looking for a new way, a new stream of federal dollars to come in, which is why I think that they're holding so tightly to having these migrants stay in their cities while complaining about them so that they could demand not $1.4 but $5 billion in the short term to help shore up their finances. Yeah, Oof. I don't like the sound of that at all. 
Uh, we know exactly how money was mismanaged during that COVID period. It's an utter mess. I mean, it, you sh we should be spending a lot of time right now looking backward and fixing that, you know, calling out places where it failed and, and, and whatnot. But clearly we're not going to do that. We're on to the next thing and the next thing at this point. I'm curious, you, you mentioned um, the police precincts and some of the places that are housing migrants right now what do you you've you've been in some of these places what is it like can you describe to us what you see when you go into a precinct that's being used as some sort of shelter well right now we have 22 police districts that are housing nearly 3,000 individuals women children seniors in tents in the lobbies on the sidewalks in the parking lots heck even in the bushes if we can find space you know, they have tarps to keep the cold out, even though we know it's, you know, we're fortunate right now in the city of Chicago because it's 55 degrees out today, but it was 33 degrees out last week. And it's only going to get colder here in the city of Chicago. You know, they're all sharing one porta potty. They are all hoping someone brings them at least one warm meal a day. And they are destroying the lobbies of police districts as they all fight for electrical space, as well as some of the indoor toilets. And they've been using our police stations and their parking lots uh, to try and raise money for themselves, either selling drugs or by doing acts of prostitution in front wow. of police officers. That's a yeah. couple of that with some of the shelters that we have, like we've had to turn over one of my park districts uh, to try and house single men and single women separately. You know, it, it's a very difficult situation all around. And we are struggling because a lot of what we're doing right now in the city of Chicago in particular is that, you know, we are still maintaining contracts with companies to provide services for the migrant asylum seekers based on emergency contracts signed by Lori Lightfoot nearly 10 months ago. A situation that she thought was going to resolve itself within two months. So like for many, if you have a home and you know that, let's say there's a flooding in your basement, you have to hire someone to come out and do an emergency service. That's going to cost you a pretty premium to get them out. But you're not going to use that premium service for routine maintenance. But that's exactly what we're doing in the city of Chicago because we have never once canceled any of these contracts or put them back out to bid to help deal with these individuals, which is why we find ourselves paying at least $195 an hour just for the lowest paid person who works in a shelter or $20,000 a week for someone to provide medical services in a shelter for one person. We are paying wow. premium emergency care for what we know is no longer an emergency situation. This is now a prolonged long-term situation, which is completely unsustainable. It's just turning into graft on the extreme and, and it is not sustainable solution in any regard because that 330 million that the state paid is on top of the hundred million that Cook County is probably going to kick in on top of 255 million that the city of Chicago is kicking in all to assist 25,000 people. We are spending nearly three quarters of a billion dollars on 25,000 people. Imagine what that would be if we could give that same amount and those same proportions to everyday Americans. Yeah. Wow. Raymond, let me ask you this because and we don't have a lot of time left, but I'm, I'm just curious because I, I love the fact that you're such a straight talker on this subject. I mean, you're, you're, you're just shooting straight. You're not BSing anybody and you're a Democrat. How is this playing in the Democrat party? Obviously we're seeing divisive, uh, some divisions going here. 
Uh, and really, now that it's landed on the doorsteps, we mentioned Eric uh, Adams in New York. Uh, they're having some problems in Chicago, obviously. We, we see what's happening in California. But how is this playing inside politics with the Democrat Party? Because this has got to be just tearing you up as an alderman to see this. Well, you know, I've been elected a Democrat for well over a decade. And, you know, yes, there's our humanity is called into question when you see people who are struggling like this. But also the, the politics and the policy of it all, too, has been very difficult to try to navigate because there are portions of the Democratic Party that want to see us continue down this path with no kind of plan moving forward, long term or short term. They are also the same ones who want to keep sanctuary cities. They are the same ones who want to keep the borders open, who call borders racist. They are the same ones who incidentally call Hamas just an educational organization and not a terrorist organization. Uh, and these are the same people who also have not one single migrant shelter facility in any of their neighborhoods. It's the do I as know. I say, do as I, not as I do as I say, not as I do crowd within the Democratic Party. And I think you're starting to see the schisms in the party itself right now. And I think those are long overdue because we've seen this party of mine tilt lefter and left of left over the years, starting with Bernie and beyond. We've seen the socialists and the hyper progressives trying to take over and repronoun themselves and call us, you know, MAGA in that city, such as Chicago, which is outrageous because we have a, a, a center. And that is going to cause problems because as you continue to see candidates who go down that path, they leave out the vast majority of the Democratic Party. And as somebody who is now, shameless plug, running for Congress, I can tell you that I've seen it in my own congressional district where trying to reach Democratic voters more and more, they tell me, I don't know if I have a, if they don't know if they have a place in the Democratic Party anymore. And we should not be driving people as a party into the open arms of the Republican Party. Because as we're doing that, that is a failure on ourselves to promote something that is inclusive, to be the party, the Big Ten Party. And we are out now forcing those who have been lifelong Democrats to abandon the party completely because they no longer feel as though this is the party they recognize. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's just That's uh, an honest uh, answer. Yeah, it really is. It's um, it's sad to see parties and identity politics gone too far to the point where it starts to have local constituents sort of uh, cannibalizing themselves and unable to understand where their party is headed. Uh, Raymond, thank you so much. Raymond for congress.com is the website. Follow Raymond. Help him in his bid here. Uh, he is one of the good ones, clearly. Raymond Lopez, thanks for joining us here on State of the Nation at today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Eat, drink, and be merry. Turns out the media was totally wrong about climate change and food production. From Washington, D.C., this is the Morano Minute with your host, TNT Radio's Mark Morano. Food crops are booming despite the alleged climate emergency. The United States sees the biggest corn harvest ever. Bloomberg News reported so much for the summer of drought and extreme heat. Quote, this year's corn harvest was the biggest ever. Farmers now have corn coming out of their ears. But that's not all. Global yields of rice, wheat, and corn have surged by a whopping 50% in the last 30 years as carbon dioxide has risen. Planet Earth is truly greening. As deserts shrink, even NASA has acknowledged the greening of planet Earth. The lesson here? The only thing we have to fear is not climate change, but climate policy. This is Mark Morano for the Morano Minute on TNT Radio. Challenging the consensus and debunking the narrative. 
This is Viewpoint. Natural disasters may seriously threaten civilization in future, yet the mainstream media peddles a pseudo-scientific man-made climate crisis. A major cosmic event would provide a real challenge for civilization. An asteroid strike may induce an ice age and major crop failures, and a solar coronal mass ejection that knocks out much of the world's electrical and communications systems would make today's problems look trivial. A solar coronal mass ejection hit Earth's magnetosphere in September 1859 and induced the largest geomagnetic storm on record. People in northeastern United States could read a newspaper by the light of the Aurora Borealis. Telegraph systems failed, and some telegraph operators received electric shocks. If such a solar storm happened today, power grids, GPS systems, telephones, and the internet could be disabled for an extended period. You're with Brian McLean and Steve Hook and State of the Nation on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, you are listening to State of the Nation, and we're very, very happy to welcome our next guest, the IRS has announced that they are raising tax brackets due to inflation. Imagine that. America's accountant, Dan Geltrude, says this is actually good news for taxpayers in this economy. And Dan Geltrude uh, joins us now to help help us uh, get us through this. Dan, talk to me like I'm five. What, what does this mean exactly? All right. So what the IRS is doing here is, is they're saying, because of inflation, we need to make some adjustments. Now, keep in mind that inflation itself is a tax. When stuff costs more money, you could think of it as an additional sales tax. So the IRS, being the nice people that they are, they say, all right, look, we know you're all hurting out there, so we are going to give you a tax break to try to offset all this inflation. So what are they doing exactly? Well, they're not changing the tax rates. They are moving the tax brackets up. So let me give you an example. Let's say that your taxable income is $100,000. And when you go to the next tax bracket, which is $100,001, and you go to the next higher rate, what the IRS is saying is, okay, for 2024, we're going to raise that rate by 5.4%. Essentially, that means you have to make $105,000 before you go to the next rate. So that what they're doing is, is they're keeping people at lower rates for higher income brackets. And, uh, and how does how does this affect uh, us normal sandwich eaters that aren't in that six figure bracket? Is there is there a bonus for us too? Well, yeah, I'm using a hundred thousand to make the math easy for a hundred thousand five percent go to a hundred and five thousand. So all of the brackets across the board are all being raised. So let's not let's not confuse raising tax brackets with raising taxes. Raising tax brackets keeps you in a lower tax bracket for more income. So that's across the board for everybody. And in 2023, because inflation was so bad, that increase was 7.1% for 2024. For next year, it's 5.4%. 
So it's a little better and and you might feel it, but the inflation isn't. Well, let me ask you this, Dan, do you see the inflation going anywhere anytime soon? Because it certainly doesn't look that way. Well, inflation may be easing slightly, but here's what happens. People get used to higher prices. It's not like it's a good thing. You just get used to things being more expensive. So you, you kind of get, I don't know, inflation fatigue, shall we say? So it's not on the forefront of your mind anymore quite as much because you're accepting it. But overall, listen, inflation is here and it's sticky. And I, I don't think it's going away so quickly. Yeah, that's do, our fear. Do, yeah, exactly. Do do prices ever come down after a big inflation like this? Or, you know, is there any sort of hope? Because as it is right now, it's like you go to the gas pumps, it's high. I understand the gas is maybe a little bit different than, say, I don't know, potato chips. But uh, the bag of potato chips is full of air now, and it costs an extra $2. Uh, are they going to take the air out and take the $2 back off at some point? Or... You know, speaking of, you know, like you're saying, we just get used to it. Are we just going to have to get used to this going forward? Well, I think you're I think you're answering your own question there. And the answer is, is no. I mean, prices will go up and down, but the baseline goes higher. Right. So the lowest price is higher than it used to be. And then it goes up and down from there. So that that's why I think people have to get used to prices being higher. Now, here's what happens. For a period of time, be, uh, because of inflation, you had, and, and employers really needed workers. So what was happening is you had wage inflation, right? So people were making more money, not quite as much as, as the rate in which inflation was going up. But then what happens when things start to normalize and the job market gets a little softer, those employers will then start to lay people off, right? They're not going to all of a sudden put more potato chips in the bag or lower the price, right? So everybody will then just have to deal with higher pricing. And, that, and that's how it works, unfortunately. Yeah, that is very unfortunate. Let me ask you this as a, as a macro picture of the economy going forward if we are if we are to presume that inflation is going to be here at least for a while there's a couple of terms that a lot of Americans have learned lately and one of them is hard landing or soft landing what are we in for Dan hard landing soft landing medium landing where are we at because uh, I can tell you my own daughter went to the grocery store today and came home and was astounded, I think probably the first time she's ever been to the grocery store by herself in a while, was astounded how much her bag of avocados cost her. Are we going to have a uh, hard landing or is this inflation going to stick around and uh, how's it going to play into it all? So let's define what what what's meant by soft landing and hard landing. What, what hard landing means is that as you're trying to get inflation under control, and what the Federal Reserve is doing is by raising interest rates, what they're trying to do is have a balance between raising interest rates and being able to bring inflation under control. That's a soft landing. The hard landing is, is that you're not able to do that and you throw the economy into a recession. So have we, ha amazingly, we've really avoided a recession to this point. Now, how have we been able to do that? Well, what's happening is the economy is continuing to be strong, but it's being financed. What do I mean by that? People are borrowing money 
instead of earning money to buy stuff, right? Credit card debt, first time in history, has broken a trillion dollars. Americans are in debt to credit card companies for over a trillion dollars. It's never happened before. So at some point in time, whether it's us individually or the federal government themselves with the amount of debt they're building up, the bill becomes due. Now, either you can pay it or you can't. If you can pay it, well, then you don't have any money left after you pay your bills, right, which creates another problem. And if, you, if you're in a situation where you can't pay it, well, whoever you owe it to, now they're in financial trouble. So all these things are interrelated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, go ahead, Hatcher. I'm sorry. Well, I, I'm just curious, uh, what sort of variables do we have with regards to volatility right now? Because there's a big conflict brewing, brewing in the Middle East. We've got conflict in Ukraine. We're sending money everywhere. Um, do 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 geopolitics affect our ability to determine whether we're going to have a hard or a soft landing on this one? Uh, sure they do, because when you're talking about us financing wars across the globe, and obviously that's what we're doing, and maybe we have to do it, but that's, that's another discussion. It is something that we're doing. So we don't have that money. So what's happening is, is that we issue bonds. So the U.S. government starts to borrow money in order to give it to someone else. Now, the additional problem we have there, and everybody knows, is that interest rates are going up. So borrowing becomes even more expensive because in order for the U.S. government to incentivize people to buy their debt, they have to offer higher interest rate, a higher return on that investment. So it becomes a compounding problem. So yeah, it makes it really, really difficult for the economy to be able to have a soft landing. So now the question becomes, how do we get a soft landing? Well, you have to do something to really spur the economy, which is, in my opinion, deregulation, lowering taxes, and then unleashing the American economy to do what it does in the free market. And if we're able to compete freely across the globe, we will win. But when you start taking our, our companies and American technology and you start taxing them and you, and you start putting all this regulation on them, you handcuff them. And that gives the advantage to other countries over us. It sounds like what you're describing is, is, is in many ways what, well, Trump did it to an extent. Reagan did that in a big way, uh, slashed taxes across the board, and it led to the largest economic uh, boom in modern American history. Do we have the political will in this country? I certainly know we don't in this current administration, but do you think that's what it's going to take in, in for, uh, future administrations to come in and say, look, in order for us to get back to where Dan says we need to be, and I'm with you on this, we need to slash regulation. We need to slash taxes. We need to incentivize corporations to move their jobs back home. Do you see that happening? Well, I agree with you that we're not going to see that with the current administration. And even if you have a Republican president elected in 2024, and whether it's Donald Trump or one of the other candidates, no matter who it is, it'll be much better 
then than Joe Biden. That's clear, at least in my opinion. But here's the problem. When you have split government, meaning, you know, between the president and the Congress, you have different parties, you're in gridlock and it makes it difficult to get anything done. So in order to really unleash the American economy, you're going to have to have a Republican president and a Republican Congress so that you could actually implement these policies because otherwise, whether it's the Senate or the House, they have the ability to block those things. You know, maybe gridlock's yeah. not bad. It shuts down spending, <laughs> if nothing well, else. Well, you're exactly right. People ask me about, well, you know, are there going to be tax increases? And I said, no, not with split government. Yeah. yeah. And 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 what about uh, getting back to the changes here by the IRS? What about standard deductions? I understand those are being raised, too. How does that play into what we're going to see? Right. So so what you have here is, is that the standard deductions are also going to be raised by that 5.4%. So if you're someone who does not itemize their deductions and after the uh, Tax Cut Job Act of 2017, which was Donald Trump, um, he, the way he set it up as a much flatter and perhaps fairer tax to increase the standard deduction. So now the standard deduction will be impacted by inflation and be able to give people uh, a deduction against their taxable income. All right. So more, a little more good news there, Steve, for us Americans uh, preparing to do our taxes next time around. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I still don't feel very good, Steve. Do you? I mean, the, the inflation uh, leading to recession factor here really has uh, a lot of us a bit disturbed looking forward. You're not kidding. And I will, I must say that, you know, you don't really feel it until you feel it. And you usually tend to feel it right around the end of the month, beginning of the next month. And when you go to the grocery store, like I mentioned, my daughter, I was half joking, but I'm not really. I mean, she came back and she goes, look at this. It was one bag. I said, how much was that? She goes, $28. She had like four items in the bag. Um, that's unsustainable. And, um, I, I mean, I guess, Dan, I guess this is good what they're doing. It's going to help around the edges here towards the end of the year as we settle up to pay our taxes. But I remember years ago, my father used to say, Steve, you want to pay taxes. It means you're doing good in life. You don't want to be one of these. It's waiting for a refund. Well, nowadays, nobody's waiting for they're all we're all taking it in the neck. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I just it's also killing the housing industry with this with these interest rates. Do you think the Fed's going to be raising the rates uh, anytime again uh, soon, Dan, or, or are they going to hold pat for a while? Well, they may be standing down temporarily, but I actually believe until they're able to get inflation down to what the target rate is of 2%, I, I think they'll probably have to increase it a little bit more. The one thing that the Fed doesn't want to have happen is, is they stop or even start reducing interest rates and then inflation comes roaring back. So, so they're going to have to really make sure that they kill it off before they're, they're really going to call a, a permanent timeout or start to lower the interest rates. And when we talk about change of administration, if if Donald Trump does ultimately become president, you could be sure that he's going to be putting a lot of pressure on the Federal Reserve to start lowering interest rates because that's what spurs the economy. Absolutely. Right yeah. Uh, Geltrude and company, uh, that's where you can find Dan. Uh, Dan, do you have anywhere else you want to point people to follow your work? Sure. The, the best place to find me is on my website or two websites, which is Geltrude.com and DanGeltrude.com. 
All right. Good website names. I like it. Uh, Dan Geltrude, thank you so much for joining us and for giving us your expertise. We really need it in this department. Steve and I need all the help we can get. So thank you, and we'll (laughs) look forward to having you back on again real soon. Thanks, Dan. All right. Well, great show, Steve. Thank you for listening to us. Stay tuned for Misty Winston. Coming up next, this is State of the Nation on today's News Talk TNT Radio.